Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Hello, this is Dr. Jim Morrow. I'm with Morrow Family Medicine. We have offices in Cumming and Milton, Georgia. We're a primary care practice where we utilize state-of-the-art technology and old-fashioned ideas to bring you the best care we possibly can. We believe at Morrow Family Medicine you'll feel both cared for and appreciated, and we do realize that you have many choices as to where you receive your care, and we hope you'll find that Morrow Family Medicine is a good place for you. I'm here in the studio at Renaissance Bank on Windward Parkway in Alpharetta, Georgia, with John Ray, my cohort. John's running the board. How you doing, John? I'm great. I hope you're well today. I'm good. It's not too hot outside today, so it's things are pretty good. Perfect in Alpharetta. It, <laughs> and Milton. Always sunny in Alpharetta, right? Yeah, I, you got it. So we're here today for another podcast. We want you to know that you can reach out to us by email at drjim at toyourhealth.md. Or you can tweet us at to your health MD. So we're here today to talk about cannabis oil, low THC oil, what some people refer to as medical marijuana in the state of Georgia. And I'm honored to have two guests with me today from Acreage Compass LLC. We have Justin Hawkins, the general manager, and Dr. Scott Cooper, who's the medical affairs director. Hello, gentlemen. How are you today? Doing well. Thank you. I'm good. How are you? I actually have both of my doctors here, so I don't know if this is an intervention or a uh, an interview, but we're going to get to that later. You can count on it. So this whole thing has started up in Georgia fairly suddenly. If you haven't been following the news and haven't followed the the path of low THC oil in Georgia, there was a bill, House Bill 324, that was passed by the state um, legislature and signed by the governor in the beginning of April of this year. So, Justin, tell us something about House Bill 324. Yeah, so House Bill 324 is a piece of legislation that has been tried uh, over the last six years, and we were successful this year in 2019 under the leadership of Brian Kemp. What House Bill 324 does is it allows the cultivation and processing and distribution of low THC oil, which is 5% THC in cannabis oil, also referred to as medical marijuana. The reason that we, we wanted to push House Bill 324 is because over the last six to seven years, medical cannabis oil was legal for possessions for qualified patients under the Georgia Department of Health, but there was no real legal access for these patients under the 17 indication list to actually acquire the medicine. And so although medical cannabis is actually illegal under federal law, we've seen across the entire country that in over 33, over 43 states across the country that in-state cultivation is a way that provides medicine to patients also um, by abiding by state law. And so that's what House Bill 324 does specifically. Well, why was it able to be passed this year when it wasn't able to be passed other years? So we were fortunate for a couple of different reasons. Um, Georgia Hope is an organization founded by parents. A lot of the times they're, they're uh, parents of these kids who suffer from pediatric epilepsy, mitochondrial disease, autism. And they have really led the fight over the last six years. Uh, fortunately, under the leadership and the new leadership of Governor Brian Kemp and Jeff Duncan, along with public opinion and the way that we've seen the research of these in-state cultivation programs uh, being analyzed, 
all of that came together in a positive way that said, you know, in-state cultivation is a way for kids and veterans and all other patients to get medicine. It's not going to change the culture of Georgia. And I think between that and between organizations like uh, the one Dr. Cooper and I founded, all of us coming together and moving in one step, um, we really, it was, it was everything coming together at once, and we were thankful for it. Super. And the law allows for specifics about who can grow this and cultivate it and, and produce it and so forth. Can you talk some about who and what and how many companies and so forth are going to be involved in that? Yeah, we anticipate there's going to be a lot of interest. Georgia is the eighth most populous state in the nation. It has a huge market and there's a lot of patients that are on the registry. 10,000 when we passed the bill, 300 we're adding per month with no change to um, to the legislation. So we do believe that in the market of Georgia, it's a large market. So from an industry standpoint, there's going to be a lot of companies and, and players interested. What the bill allows specifically, it allows two class one organizations with a higher financial uh, stipulation um, to, to prove to the state that they have. And it also allows four class two, which are for smaller entities, small business across the state of Georgia. Those are six private licenses. Now, aside from that, they did allow two university programs to research and develop and cultivate, and that's with the University of Georgia and Fort Valley State University down south of Atlanta. And so when you combine a total of eight enterprises, public and private, that's who will be uh, the structure of Georgia medical cannabis. Interesting. So Georgia's law being one of the newer ones, uh, can you tell me how this law is different from the laws in these other states that you mentioned? (laughs) Yeah. So for instance, I like to take the obvious, which is Colorado. So when you look at Colorado, which passed medical cannabis back in 2000, 2001, the way we're different and and the largest way that I can contrast between is horizontal versus vertical. And what I mean by that is when you look at Colorado, they allowed a horizontal structure, which means they allowed growers, processors, and distributors all being separate silos, so to speak. What we did in Georgia is not only did we put a THC cap of no more than 5%, which is very low THC, but what we also did is we allowed vertical integration, which means that the companies vying for these class one and class two licenses is that they grow, they process, and they distribute their own product. And the what, and why we feel like that's very valuable for the state of Georgia is it allows high quality control. It allows players and companies that know what they're doing, that have a track record across the country, and it allows us to not have price increases with middlemen. So we're allowed to go directly to the patient. Um, obviously you guys are doctors, so you guys know how the pharmaceutical industry works. So it's almost like if Johnson and Johnson or Amgen had their own pharmacies, that's what our company is vying to do. Okay. And you called it low THC oil and a lot of listeners hearing THC, they're going to think that this is something that's going to, uh, act and function like marijuana. So Dr. Cooper, what exactly is low THC oil? It restricts how much THC is in the compound. And let me read you something from the AMA since you bring that up. While he's doing that, I can give you kind of an overview. So when it comes to low THC oil, what we have is we have hemp-derived oil and we have cannabis-derived oil. Hemp-derived oil is what's often referred to as CBD. And so you see CBD on the market because hemp CBD oil is now federally legal with the farm bill that was passed a couple months ago. Right. With cannabis, you have cannabis oil. And so when you have natural cannabis, it can be as high as 90%. And so what Dr. Cooper will talk about specifically is that when we, when we, when we form cannabis oil 
from the actual cannabis plant, then we're restricting that THC down to 5% per milliliter. And so that's what allows us to have different indications, and he'll speak more to that. Sorry for that delay. didn't have it prepared for you. So this is a quote from the FDA stating that it is THC and not CBD that's the primary psychoactive component of marijuana. And they approved a medication with low THC for specific seizure disorders, primarily in children. And they approve, and and I quote, they're committed to this kind of careful scientific research and drug development, continuing to support rigorous scientific research on potential uses of medical marijuana-derived products. So we're not talking about something that is psychoactive. This is compound specifically for specific, and in the case of Georgia, 17 discrete different disease states. And these are disease states that have had faulty, not effective medications and and treatment methodologies previously, pretty much. Absolutely. Uh, They have done studies uh, with veterans as well as studies with uh, geriatric patients and chronic pain syndrome, and they found that even in senior citizens, it reduced the opiate use by over one-third. So we're looking for a safe medication without the side effects and addictive properties of current therapies that we have for different disease states right now. And we say this all the time. It's not a miracle drug. Dr. Cooper, you're great at saying this. It's more of an adjunct. And so we see a lot of combined with pharmaceutical drugs. It really does make a difference. This is not going to be replacing every medication that somebody's out there taking right now. This is to help them get over the hump to really control whatever disease state we're talking about. So in in Georgia, the process for acquiring a card, which is understands what you have to have, to get this, tell me a little bit about the process for going through that. Well, the physician, number one, who's prescribing it has to be registered with the state. So that's the first hurdle. Uh, Not every physician wants to participate in the program. Then number two, they have specific paperwork that needs to be filled out and sent in to the Georgia Department of Health, the patient has to be registered, and the patient gets a registration card. And it's presumed right now, it's not definitely set, but we suppose that this is going to be similar to other states where there will be discrete dispensaries specifically for CBD products. And the patient has to present that card to be able to uh, achieve and get the medication. And there's a limit, I'm sure, on how much any particular person can have in their possession at any one time. Absolutely. Not just how much they can have at one time in their possession, but how much they can purchase over a 30-day period. And you would have to drink gallons of this stuff to try to get high. So if you're going to spend over $100 per bottle, you're better off doing something illegally if you're in in uh, search of something that's psychoactive. If high is your goal. If high is your goal, you're not going to get it here. So you take the THC oil, and in the case of seizures, let's say it helps to control the seizures. Do we know how that works in the brain? No, we don't. Uh, Yeah, I wish we did. There are a lot of different uh, cannabidiol receptors. Uh, We know that what's available now commercially for these two seizure types, the Epidiolex, does not work for pain disorders or tick disorders. There are two compounds right now in Europe and in Canada that are used for multiple sclerosis-associated pain as well as cancer-associated pain. And it's within that realm of cannabis, but it's a different level of THC. So there have to be different products specifically developed for different disease states 
but yet we're at the stage where we know it works, but we don't know how at this point. Well, the results that you see and the stories that you hear about the most heart, heart-wrenching ones are children with disease processes and seizures is a great example, are just absolutely mind-blowing when you see what this medicine can do for them and what their traditional medicines have not done for them. So I think it's a, a very exciting time. That's absolutely right. I'll be honest. I was a skeptic when this first came out and was not willing to endorse it uh, and had patients that were acquiring from other states illegally. And they came in and their seizures were dramatically reduced, not controlled, but reduced such that I could reduce some of the medications that were both expensive Mm. as well as having side effects. And then saw other patients with autism, their behavior improved. Parkinson's disease, tremor improved, Alzheimer's disease, behavior improved. And that's when I started looking into it more and then became an advocate. So the law gets passed. The science says that this will work for a variety of different instances. You mentioned 17 different diagnoses that it can be used for. So along comes Justin and Scott Cooper. And how does this happen that you ended up being in this push to now produce and to distribute THC oil. As we were talking earlier, when you look at anybody in this industry, they have a touch point. Either they have a family member or they have a neighbor or they have a a, a patient that comes to them and you see them suffering. So for me, my brother served overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan and I saw him come back uh, from overseas and work with the VA. And instead of uh, being on a medication like a tool like low THC oil, he was on opiates and that led to a whole different battle of its own. And so I was very interested from that point. And so in 2018, Dr. Scott Cooper and myself and six other partners around the state of Georgia formed Compass Neuroceutical, which was an advocacy group, all Georgia based with a single focus, which was to pass House Bill 324. In doing so, because we were successful with one other company in supporting Georgia Hope, which was the organization with parents, patients and advocates that have been fighting for this for six years, we all came together, we were successful in passing it. Simultaneously, we were talking to national leaders about partnering and, and having a specific partnership within the state of Georgia to, to be a license holder and to lead the way in Georgia so that we could be uh, the, the standard barrier for the country. And in doing so, we talked to many of the national leaders and we, we were fortunate to choose a company known as Acreage Holdings, which is the largest multi-state owner and operator in the United States. They have a great executive leadership team with a board of directors Folks like Speaker of the former Speaker of the House John Boehner, former Prime Minister of Canada Brian Moroni, governors and former CEOs of international companies, and why that matters is you see in this in this industry, and I tell people all the time, and they think I'm joking, but I'm really serious. This industry is either Warren Buffett all the way to um, um, Thomas Leary, <laughs> Thomas, all the way to Willie Nelson. And in between. And so the industry is very wide. So we do a lot of uh, different things. We have good governance and integrity and we keep stupid away. But on top of that, we have a proven track record of owning more licenses, 20 states. We have 88 licenses across the country. And because we're the largest, we know how to get safe, reliable product in a quick and efficient manner to patients. And so with that partnership, we have created what's now called Acreage Compass LLC, which will be vying for a class one license in the state of Georgia. Yeah, if I could add that uh, Georgia Hope was the main thrust behind this. As Justin said, we were able to work with them to finally get it over the finish line. And all of these companies, 
uh, are just drooling over starting business in Georgia. And we were approached by numerous corporations that are in the industry. And we selected the one that we thought had the same vision we do. Because there are others that are out there that are just interested as this is a bridge to uh, recreational marijuana and that they really saw medical marijuana as a stepping stone, but they weren't very interested in the cultivation and in studying which drug was, you know, combination was going to be best for which disease state. And acreage has integrity, which is something you don't see in every uh, partner that was searching out there. So with the passage of the bill, the, the state is creating the, this commission that will, the Cannabis Commission, basically, that will choose these companies. What's that process like for being chosen? I know you're doing an awful lot of work, both of you, with Acreage Compass right now in hopes of being selected, but nothing's written in stone. So tell me about the process, the timeline, and how you expect all that to happen. Yeah, we, we're kind of on hold now. I know uh, – Governor Brian Kemp, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, and Speaker David Ralston are doing a whole lot behind the scenes to make sure that a commission is set up in an appropriate way that really has the spirit and the integrity of the bill. And so as of now, the commission is set up three appointed by the governor, two appointed by the lieutenant governor, and two appointed by the speaker. So a total of seven appointees to the commission. Within the three that the governor has, one of those will be the chair of the commission. In doing so, the commission creates one position under them immediately as the executive director of the commission, which handles the daily functions. This whole commission will be under the secretary of state's office as the regulator moving forward in the future. So we're on hold right now. None of the commission members have been selected. We anticipate um, from our talks, of course, this can change between August and September of the uh, appointees being selected from that process. When they're selected, they really start from ground up, which means they create the rules and regulations, the application, the criteria. And then from that point, then private companies are able to do the application, which is a very stringent process. Some are even over 3,000 pages from that timeline. Then three to six months after the applications are submitted, we anticipate the state will then choose which license holders they feel are competent based on a variety of factors. So you mentioned 10,000 people on the registry now, adding about 300 a month. So I think earlier when we were talking, you said you, the expectation is a quarter million people on the registry. I was talking I, when uh, Representative Micah Gravely spoke at our Rotary Club not too long ago. I went out to dinner with him the night before to talk about the different things we could do to work together and other stakeholders. And he had... In, he had relayed, and we feel very strongly that by the end of next year, we're almost going to see 50,000 patients in the registry. And it just shows you saw a lot before House Bill 324 passed that many patients in the 17 indication list were not even registering because there was no real access to acquire this medication. With that, we had 645 doctors as soon as we passed House Bill 324 that were on the registry. So we anticipate both those numbers will dramatically increase. I would I would argue that about two, a quarter of a million patients will be registered in Georgia over the next four to five years. Um, and I would even say that's a conservative estimate. And that's not to say that this program gets out of control. That's to say that these, from mitochondrial disease to autism to pediatric epilepsy to PTSD, these are, are disease states that are, are large, so to speak. And um, I know Dr. Cooper can speak to that. Um, but we believe that um, Georgia is a large market and, and it's been underserved over the last 10 years. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. I'd say that at least one or two times a day I have patients that are telling me, 
either they're already on it and how do they get a card or how do they acquire it. Uh, people are asking about it. And there were some opponents to the bill who said, well, you only have so many people on the registry, so it's not going to be used. And I liken that to saying, well, the bill hadn't been passed yet. So that's like saying, okay, I see a sign saying Kroger is opening up. When are they opening? And you're assuming only the people who asked about the sign are going to be future customers. And the store opens and suddenly you have 100,000 customers. Right. So I think that once we have the distribution set up and the physicians signed up, that we're going to see easily well over 100,000 uh, patients within the first year. Well, and the patients, those patients will be for these disease processes that are already approved. What does the future of cannabis oil and cannabis in general look like medically? There are more and more studies that are going on all the time, a lot of them under federal funds. Uh, and then you've got the two colleges that are universities that will be pursuing in, uh, some research. Right now, the Georgia Department of Health is the one that regulates which disease states are approved and how many. And they went from seven in one year to 17 the next year. I'm sure as we gain more experience, we're going to see future applications beyond what we have right now. Okay. So we're talking with Justin Hawkins and Dr. Scott Cooper from Acreage Compass LLC. And Justin, I want to ask you before we go, is there a way that people can do their own research? Is there a way they can learn something about your company and and the business in general? Yeah, absolutely. We have a, a website, compassneuro.com, that will have information coming out in the next weeks. And then also acreageholdings.com, which kind of gives you a layout of who Acreage is. We're in over 20 states across the entire country. Uh, we have a public um, potential merger with a company called Canopy Growth, which is the largest cannabis company in the entire world. And so the proprietary information that we have, the assets and the intellectual property and knowledge is second to none. And so those two websites are great resources. Dr. Scott Cooper and I live in the Atlanta area, so um, we're always around to answer questions. We like to uh, meet patients. We see all the time these children and parents who have been suffering don't know what to do. And so if there's any of that case, we're here to we're here to help any way we can. Super. John, you've been awfully quiet over there. And do we have anybody that's sent us any questions or comments during our, our time here? You got them all stirred up again. <laughs> I like that. It's not yeah. Lyme disease, it's this or vaccines. Vaccines. <laughs> I thought vaccines hit the high water mark, but I think you got, got going again today. So several questions about the, is this the slippery slope to recreational use? Yeah, that's a great question. Scott, I'll send that to you. What do you think? If people start using THC oil, they're going to start going out behind the Walmart and looking for marijuana to buy? Well, not only is this my opinion, but actually a study was just published with over 1.4 million people that were surveyed throughout the entire United States. And in the 33 states plus the District of Columbia, there was not a single area geographically that this seemed to be a breakthrough for low THC, and then they convert over to recreational. Uh, this has been disproven conclusively uh, that this is not a gateway drug to tempt people to that then go to recreational drugs such as marijuana or other types of substance abuse. Right. And if I could add one thing, we did one thing different than a lot of states. And Micah, Micah Gravely, who's the author of House Bill 324 with, with Senator Matt Brass, um, 
really pushed this with Governor Brian Kemp, and it was a, it was a great way to contrast ourselves to other states who have gone recreation. If you look at every state that started as a medical program that goes to recreation, they had one thing in their program that Georgia does not, and that's the ability to have smokable flour. So with states like Colorado or California or Oregon or Washington, they had smokable flour in their medical program. Not only does Georgia not allow smokable flour, but we don't allow vaping as well. So that's the main difference that we saw a, a, um, a common denominator. Super. That's a great question, John. I, I only ask great questions. <laughs> we'll talk about that all fair. Yeah, okay. I have got, I've got one more if I can try Good. again, see if I still, if this is a great one too. Yeah. So, uh, the question relates to side effects. So all medications have some sort of side effects. Are there any other side effects are noted in the use of this THC oil? Yeah. You know, if you read the printout for Tylenol, you'll see you know, a <laughs> yard full of potential side effects. Uh, you do not need to monitor any blood tests routinely with this low THC oil. Uh, it can have a little bit of a calming side effect and sometimes a little bit of sedation, but that's about it. So it, you know, it's not the high THC that you see with recreational, so you're not going to get the munchies. Uh, <laughs> you, that's good. Uh, and you know, as opposed to other drugs, either a lot of marijuana or methamphetamines, that lower the seizure threshold, this actually treats seizures. Well, that's wonderful. You know, if you have a medicine that can treat the things we're talking about, they're so difficult to treat, and it doesn't affect your liver or your kidneys. It's not mood-altering habit for me. They don't drug test for it in the workplace, that kind of thing. Then I, I think that's great. And, of course, this is do drug test for but with a prescription card, it's a negative drug screen. So I think that's I think that's a fantastic thing. And I'm very excited as a practicing physician about seeing where this will go and I'm very excited as a businessman about seeing where you guys go. So I really appreciate y'all being here very much. I think, John, we're going to wrap it up for today. Sounds good. All right. This is To Your Health.